called Comeback Kids, and we're looking at the story of the Jewish return from Babylonian exile. This takes place for about a 110-year period in Jewish history, uh, starts in 538 B.C. and goes to about 450 B.C. or 445 B.C., and uh, we're well into the series. If you've missed earlier sermons, you can catch up online. You can always catch up online, clearwater.church. And I encourage you to do that. Today we are looking at Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. So before planting Clearwater Church, uh, I was a pastor at Faith Christian Community for seven years, and I worked alongside uh, Steve Holsinger, Pastor Steve. And he had a statement I thought was just so rich. He, He would say, when you find your life in a mess, give God something to bless. When you're in a mess, give God something to bless. There's always something you can do. In other words, there is always, always, always hope to change the dynamic of your situation. You can always turn to God at any moment and begin to experience God's blessing, His favor, His help in your life. When you find yourself in a mess, give God something to bless. And if you're not in a mess today, you might be in a mess today, and that's what you need to hear. But if you're not in a mess today, you will be someday, because we live in a broken world and we're sinners, right? So this is, this is one of these kind of spiritual principles you just need to grab a hold of, stick it in your head and your heart, because you're going to need it. When you find yourself in a mess, give God something to bless. There's always hope. Now, maybe you're thinking, ah, but Mike... I'm in a mess of my own making, right? Uh, Things are bad in my life because I've been bad. Maybe your marriage is falling apart, and you're like, yeah, it's falling apart for a reason. I've been a terrible spouse. And maybe you're just, you're you're, uh, floundering in in a pile of debt, and it's because you have been a poor steward of the resources God has given. You've been living above your means. You've been uh, maxing out your credit cards. It could be that your physical health is breaking down, and it's because of choices you've made, unhealthy eating, uh, drugs, alcohol. Maybe you're in prison because you've been breaking the law. You're in a mess, and it's a mess of your own making, and you're thinking, you know what? I'm pretty sure that the mess I'm in is actually partly a result of God disciplining me. So I'm in a mess that God's put me in because of my sin. Why in the world would God want to help me? There's no hope for me. Well, here comes the good news of today's Bible story. The people of God in our story today are in a mess of their own making, and they turn to God for help, and He hears them. Even when you're in a mess of your own making, you can turn to God and find blessing. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. So where are we in the story of the return? Last week, Pastor James talked about uh, this week-long Bible study that the the people engaged in. Uh, So the, the walls of the city have been rebuilt But Jerusalem is pretty empty of people. And Nehemiah says, I want everybody, all the the Jews who have returned from exile to, uh, we're going to have a big powwow in Jerusalem. 
And what do they do? For hours a day, the Bible is read out loud. And men, women, and children are listening. And then there are designated leaders who help interpret so that they understand what they're learning. And the end result of this kind of week-long Bible study is that the people reconnect with the big narrative of their lives. They hadn't been reading the Bible, and as a result, they, had, they were unaware of who they really were and God's big plan for them and what life could be like if they were living in right relationship with Him. But they've reconnected now with the, with the biblical narrative of their lives. And the end result is they say to themselves, hey, our life is not as good as it could be. It's not as good as it should be. It's not as good as God wants it to be. And here's the way they put it, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 36. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. Hey, based on what we have been reading in the Bible, we know that this land is the promised land that was given to the Jewish people for our enjoyment, for our enrichment, and here we are slaves in this land. Verse 37, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. They've read the Bible. They know what life could be like if they were being blessed by God, and they say, we're in a mess. It's a mess of our own making. We're supposed to be in this land enjoying its rich yield. Instead, there are foreign kings who have rule over our bodies and our livestock. And, and why? It's because we've sinned and God has, is dis has disciplined us. We are in a mess of our own making, and we want out. We want things to change. And they give us a great example of how to go to God in the midst of a mess of your own making and find God's blessing. So what do they do? What do they do? The first thing they do is they rehearse the history of God's merciful dealings with his sinful people. Chapter 9, verse 6 through verse 37 is a prayer. And it's a prayer that is rehearsing kind of the history of the Jewish people, a history that they've reconnected with, right? They've been reading the Bible for a week now, hours and hours a day. They've reconnected with the grand narrative, and, uh, and so they pray it back to God. And they start from creation, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. God, you're the creator, you're the sustainer. And they go on to say, you entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants. Then there was a time of slavery, but you delivered us from slavery and then you gave, uh, we wandered in the wilderness, but you preserved us. And then you gave us the promised land, and we lived in houses that we didn't build ourselves. And, and we got to uh, enjoy the fruits of, of fields and vineyards that we never planted. And they, they just, they talk through, they, they rehearse in prayer their history. 
And why are they doing this? Here's why they're doing it. Because when they, when they think about the way God has mercifully related to his sinful people in the past, it gives them the courage to ask God for mercy in their own situation. And so when you find yourself in a mess of your own making, the first thing to do is to rehearse to yourself, retell yourself the story of God's merciful dealings with his sinful people. Because you'll say, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Look at the way God was merciful to, toward his people throughout history. You know what? He, he, might, he might be merciful to me. And it gives you the courage to then ask God for mercy. Otherwise, you're going to conclude, hey, I wouldn't be merciful to me. I've been acting terribly. If it were up to me, I'd be heaping more problems on my life. But God's not us. God does his own thing. And so when you look at the story of the Bible, you realize God is merciful and gracious and compassionate and long-suffering. And, and when we cry out to him, he gives us another chance. So let's zoom in a little more closely on, on some of these we rebelled, but you were merciful um, kind of parallels or juxtapositions. Uh, let's look verse nine, uh, 16, chapter 9, verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. So just talked about how God, you miraculously rescued your people from slavery in Egypt and then on Mount Sinai, you gave them their, your law, your good law. They knew what you wanted from them, but they stiffened their neck. They didn't obey. Verse 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck. It's a lot of neck stiffening. And appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. <laughs> they even said, we want to go back to Egypt how did God respond? But you are a God ready to forgive. Hey, take, suck this in. Take in this truth about who God is. But you are a God ready to forgive. That's, this is God's stance towards you and me in the mess of our own making. You're a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. Even when they erected an idol and attributed to the idol credit for what God had done. Great blasphemies. Even then, you in, in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. Now skip to verse 26. He, he's just talked about how uh, you gave us the promised land, houses we didn't build, fields we didn't plant. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. God, you were so good to your people. Nevertheless, verse 26, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who you had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great 
blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the midst of their suffering, they cried out to you. God gave them into the hand of their enemies in order to correct them, in order to get their attention, turn them back to him. In the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But, 28, after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. Many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously, did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. Verse 30, many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Verse 31, here's kind of the summary, nevertheless... In your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So can you feel what's happening in their own hearts as they rehearse this history of God's merciful dealings with his sinful people? Uh, they, they are admitting, we, we fail, you don't fail. You just continue to show mercy, be gracious, don't give up on us, don't forsake us, give us another chance. And now that they've, now that they've rehearsed this history of God's great mercy, His great compassion, uh, His steadfast love, it gives them the courage to then say, now God, please have mercy on us. Rehearse. When you find your life in a mess, rehearse God's merciful dealings with His sinful people. First thing you do. Second thing they do, and it's kind of tied up together, is they confess their own sins and their sinfulness, right? I am a sinner, and I have done specific sins. It might have been tempting to say, yeah, but that was them, Right? That all happened in the, in the past, hundreds of years ago uh, or decades ago. That, that was our forefathers. That wasn't, that wasn't us. Um, what is my dad doing out there looking sick? Is some... Who? Steve. Oh, yes. Uh, would you go check my dad out? Steve Estralka. Thank you, sir. Well, that's disrupt. That's uh, distracting. <laughs> Sorry, he just looks like he's sick out there. Okay, where was I? Confess your sins. Yes. Sorry. Confess your sins. We should do that. Yes, we should. Why do we do that? We confess our sins. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. These people, these the the Israelites, they don't just say, "Oh, that was the that was in the past." Um, they recognized that they were part of a, a community. They were the people of God. And, uh, and because they were the people of God, they shared a corporate 
a corporate guilt. But beyond that, they acknowledge their own sin. So here's the way they put this. Um, verse 33, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we, not just our forefathers, we have acted wickedly. And then in verse 37, um, the rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. So they are acknowledging we are sinners, we have sinned. Well, here's the good news. You know, you know many people, if you're not a Christian, it's scary to confess your sins uh, because there's no redemptive hope. But as Christians, we're not afraid of confessing our sins uh, because we don't pretend to be perfect, right? We, the whole fundamental stance of a Christian is, uh, I'm a sinner, and I am in need of the mercy of God, and God is at work in my life, changing me, praise God, but I'm not yet complete. So I, I sin, I will continue to sin, um, and God is helping to change me. So the good news is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, if the stars align and he's so inclined, if you catch him in just the right mood, he might forgive you. Is that what the Bible says? No. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has, that's a promise, by the way. God has made you a promise. If you confess your sins, I will forgive you, period. In, and in the Second Chronicles, Chronicles 7, 14, in the Old Testament, we read, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what's happening here in Nehemiah 9. The people are humbling themselves, they're praying, and they are turning from their sins, and God is going to heal. So when you find yourself in a mess of your own making, number one, you rehearse the history of God's merciful dealings with His sinful people. Secondly, you confess your sins and your sinfulness. And then thirdly, you ask for mercy. Verse 32, Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. God, please, please be merciful to us. Please take note of the fact that we have been suffering since... The, during the exile, and change our situation, right? Please, we're in a mess of our own making, but God, you're so merciful. We acknowledge our sin. Would you please change, get us out of this mess? That's what they're asking. And will God hear? Yes. The Bible, is, that's the clear message of the Bible. If we turn to God, no matter what this mess or how we got there, God will Help us. And we have to trust. We ask, and then we have to trust that God hears us. Because it takes faith. You know, it takes faith to believe that God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It takes faith to do what is right 
when you're being tempted to do wrong. And you know what else it takes, it takes uh, faith for, to do? To receive the mercy of God. Because we know that's not the way we would treat other people. And so it's hard for us to believe that God will show us mercy when we preeminently feel unworthy. We don't think that we deserve mercy. And so the only reason you'll receive the mercy of God and walk in that is because you take the promises of God by faith and claim them by faith. So when you find yourself in a mess, rehearse the mercies, the merciful dealings of God with His people. That'll give you the confidence to go ask for mercy for yourself. You confess your sins and your sinfulness. You ask and you trust. And then finally, you commit yourself to doing better. And that's what chapter 10 is all about, and we're not going to spend much time in there. Just know that uh, here's chapter 10. It starts this way, last verse of chapter 9. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So they've actually written out uh, a covenant renewal document, and the leaders have signed it, kind of like a Declaration of Independence and John Hancock and Jan, John Adams. You know, on it are the names of the princes, the Levites, the priests, signing on behalf of the people. And this is them saying, God, we are, we are recommitting ourselves to the covenant obligations. And if you read chapter, uh, chapter 10, they basically say, we're going to do a better job obeying the, uh, uh, the covenant. And number two, we're going to make sure that the temple is taken care of. And it is a good thing. In fact, I think this, this commitment to do better is, uh, reflects a true heart of repentance, because have you really repented if you don't actually intend to change your behavior? No, I think repentance is, involves, I don't want to continue doing that. And that is good. It is good to commit yourself to, to doing better. However, what we know, because we live in the New Testament era, what we know is that doing better uh, is not a prerequisite to God's mercy, is it? Uh, and I think Romans chapter 12, verse 1, gets the sequence, clarifies the sequence for us as Christians. It says, uh, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your true or spiritual worship. And the sequence there is very important. It doesn't say... Present your bodies a living sacrifice so that you may receive the mercy of God. It says, in light of the fact that God has been so merciful to you in Jesus Christ because your sins have been forgiven, because you have been restored in, into a relationship with God, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, heaven is your, your home, uh, because of that, you should present your your uh, body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Some translations say, which is your reasonable service. By the way, a report. Um, back in the Transformed series, we set goals for ourselves, right? One of the goals that I set, and I told you guys, was before I mess around with my telephone, I'm going to present myself, my body to the Lord. So, I, um, and I've got probably six days a week that I actually succeed on this. It's Sunday. I didn't do it. Sorry. But I, I literally just say, 
God, I present my body to you, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you, which is my true worship. And then I check the stocks. <laughs> but that has been a great discipline for me, just a, 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 just a, cons, uh, a, a reminder uh, that, of who I am and who I want to be. But I'm not doing that so that God will be merciful to me. I'm doing it because God has been merciful to me. You see the difference? I'm not insecure about my relationship with God. I am, con- I am totally convinced. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, I write these things to you, my brothers, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I am in a right relationship with God, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. But I am more committed today than I've ever been to live a life that pleases God. Why? Not because I'm insecure and I'm trying to win His favor. Because I am convinced that His way is best for me. I am convinced that in in a life of, of service to the Lord and a life where I give up myself, there I find true life, right? That's where I find life to the full. So, it's important to get the sequence right. Absolutely, we should devote ourselves to doing better, um, but understand that that is not a prerequisite to receiving mercy. It's a byproduct. It's a desire that flows out of having received mercy. Amen. Summarize. If your life is not right now in a mess, it will be. So this is a truth you need to own and claim. And, and when you find your life in a mess, remember Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10 and go to it for instruction and for encouragement. And you might find yourself in a mess of your own making. And, and at that point, the evil one is absolutely there saying, there's no hope for you. God's mad at you. Why in the world did you turn to God when he's mad at you? You're just going to get the bigger boom down. You get his attention. No. The Bible says when you're in a mess of your own making, you turn to the Lord and you ask for mercy. And you remind yourself of the fact that He has been merciful to to His wicked people in the past. He will be merciful to you. You don't try to hide your sin. You don't pretend to be anything better than you are. I am a sinner. That's my fundamental, well, before Christ has invaded my life. I am a sinner, and I still have the sin nature plaguing me until Christ returns, and I sin. And God, I need your mercy. Without it, I'm sunk. And then you ask, you ask, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. And then you, re- you receive by faith His promise. And yes, you devote yourself to doing better, but not as a prerequisite to being shown mercy, but out of a, out of a, a, a place of thank you, God. I, you have shown me mercy. So let's pray. You take some time to do business with God. Where are you? Which one of those steps do you need to, to just sit in? Man comes up. Your word, O God, 
is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.